Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Ash Wednesday service. Thank you all for being here. Uh, tonight we begin our Lent journey, 40 days going up till Holy Week, of course, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and then, of course, Easter morning. It seems like really just last week we finished up with Advent. So, uh, but this is where we are, and uh, we're excited to be getting. Uh, getting this chance and this opportunity to reflect, to pray, to hear from God's Word. Uh, And speaking of that, the Lent series that we'll be going through during this season is called The Way of Grace. And all of the sermons have been written by different seminary professors. Uh, And I want you to pay particular... I have not read yet read ahead to all of the other sermons yet, but the one tonight I think is especially well written, and so I hope that it was, that it is a, as much of a blessing to you as it was to me as I had the the opportunity to read it. Um, I think that's all of the announcements that I have. We will be doing the imposition of ashes tonight, and when that point comes during the service, uh, we will give you some more directions on how we're going to go about doing that. And so we, please rise. We make our beginning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. Almighty God, in His mercy, has given His Son to die for you, and for His sake, He forgives you all of your sins. So then, in the stead, and by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I therefore forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Our Lenten journey begins with ashes on our foreheads, a sign of broken and repentant hearts. God does not desire our sacrifices as if we could atone for or cover our own sin. God desires broken and contrite hearts, which he will not despise. Any efforts to cover up, to pay for, or or to atone for our own sin only results in more sackcloth and ashes, even death. It is God who responds to the ashes of our repentance by sending his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, has washed our foreheads of the ashes of our sins, has 
removed the sackcloth of our guilt and has clothed us in his robes of righteousness and garments of salvation. The pure and holy white linens that adorn the saints in heaven cover us for that adorn the saints in heaven cover us as we long for the day when we will join them around the throne. And so I would invite uh, all of you to please come forward. Please make two lines in the center aisle. Uh, and myself and my dad will then do the imposition of ashes.
In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you despise nothing you have made and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and contrite hearts that lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, we may receive from you full pardon and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. Our Old Testament reading comes from Joel, chapter 2, beginning at the 12th verse. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people. Consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, I byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you a grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. This is the word of our Lord. Our psalm selection for this Ash Wednesday is taken from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. The epistle reading comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. 
Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown, and yet well-known, as dying. And behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. This is the word of our Lord. Please stand. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the gospel of our Lord.
Will you all pray with me, please? Dear Lord, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours this evening from God our Father and through the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this evening's meditation is from Matthew chapter 18. It is Jesus' parable of the unmerciful servant, and it reads, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So far the text for this evening. I want you to consider one of the last times that someone, maybe one of your kids or parents or another family member, wronged you in some way and then came to you to say that they were sorry. How did you respond? If you were in a pleasant, tolerant mood, did you say something like, ah, it's no big deal, don't worry about it? You probably didn't mean to do it. If what they did to you was still stuck in your craw, if you were still angry about it when they said they were sorry, did you respond with words like, well, you should be sorry. Don't ever do it again. Or perhaps the well-worn phrase, I'll forgive you, but I don't want to have anything to do with you again. I want you to consider how you forgive or fail to forgive others. Those in your family, those who are friends, those with whom you work. How are we tempted to respond with generic words of, it's okay, or with angry 
responses. Is that how we want God to respond to us? In the lesson that was just read, Peter is just starting to realize who Jesus was and why he had come. A few in, in a chapter earlier, in Matthew chapter 16, he had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, but was then rebuked when he tried to convince Jesus not to be a suffering Messiah. Now, Peter realizes that Jesus is about bringing forgiveness. Peter may have known that other Jewish rabbis of Jesus' day were telling their followers to forgive people at least three times. Peter may have thought he was being exorbitant by suggesting seven times for forgiveness. But Jesus tells him not seven times, because you and I can keep track of seven times. No, 77 No, 70 times 7. Or we could just really lay it out there very simply like this in spiritual math. Forgive and don't stop. Now, does this mean that we must put ourselves in positions to be repeatedly brutalized by others? If a spouse or parent is abusive, we can and should remove that injured one from the abuse until safety can be assured. Living the Christian life does not mean that we purposefully seek to be martyrs for the cause, but it does mean that when we are sinned against, we seek to forgive and forgive and forgive again just as our Lord did for us when He gave His life on the cross. Oh, how Peter must have felt when he denied his Lord three times, but also how relieved and comforted he must have felt when he later remembered that Jesus said that He would forgive without counting, 70 times 7. Jesus doesn't just stop by saying 70 times 7. He emphasizes the importance of forgiveness with a parable. Well, then it is perhaps one of his most important ones, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Did you ever notice in this parable that the first servant never actually asks for forgiveness? He owed an exorbitant sum. He owed ten thousand talents. Jesus is probably saying something like trillions of dollars, more money than any single individual has ever had in the history of the entire world. That's what this man owed. But yet he doesn't ask to be pardoned or to have the debt reduced or to have it forgiven. No. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything except he couldn't pay it back. The debt was impossible. He had to be forgiven the debt, released from it in its entirety, but he doesn't get it. He had not received the forgiveness, the mercy of his master. 
He didn't believe that his debt had been canceled. He was still looking for ways to pay him back. And so the poor sucker that owed him 100 denarii, several thousand dollars, was the first one to start this process. Have you fully received the pardon, the release from the debt of your sins that Jesus has given? One of the ironies of the Christian faith is that so many people don't get it. So many people think that we Christians are just here in church telling each other of all of the good things that we've done and how, and how we've pleased God with our faithfulness. But that is not what the Christian faith is about. The Christian faith is about forgiveness. That is why we come here together in a faithful way. Not to please God with our worship, but to respond to God for His love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It should always put us in awe. It should always amaze us when we realize that the Son of God came to earth in human flesh and died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sins and then rose again from the dead to show that He had conquered sin and the devil and death itself. When we realize that we, you and I, are the servant who owes the Master trillions in debt, and that He has forgiven us without our even first asking for it, well, that should amaze us day after day and week after week. When we realize the volume of vertical forgiveness that we've received from our Lord through our Lord, then we are able to forgive horizontally as well to our family and friends. One of the other ironies of the Christian faith is that, even we, is that even we understand that forgiveness often goes through stages of faith development, of new realizations of the immensity of our faith. When many new believers and young Christians start to trust in Jesus for their eternal salvation, they are so excited, so refreshed at the forgiveness and promises that they have received. But then many go through a season in which they are trying so hard to be worthy of that forgiveness, to live such holy lives that when they fall again into some sinful habit, be it lying or gossiping, disobeying parents, adultery, or misusing substances, they can't believe it and begin to wonder if they ever were truly a Christian. They repent again and then often are able to remove the outward sinfulness from their lives. But then for many maturing Christians, there comes a realization that they have even more sins lying under the surface that only they can see. Lusts and greed, anger and hostility that few, if anyone, knows of. It is then that they can, uplifted in God's Word and sacraments, the ways His love and mercy come to us, realize the full extent of their sinfulness, the trillions of sins that we are burdened with, 
and then be willing to forgive others. And we think that it is so hard. In Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's brothers fear that he had not truly forgiven them. They had sold him into slavery as a young man, given him up for death. But the Lord worked all things together for good. And after years of hardship, Joseph became the second most powerful man in the land. In fact, the entire world. He had forgiven his brothers once, years before. But now that their father had died, they feared that Joseph's forgiveness might have been dependent upon pleasing his father. But it wasn't. It was sincere. It was from the heart. And yes, Joseph may still have had occasional feelings against his brothers. He may have still felt upset that they had ever done such a thing to him. But his forgiveness was sincere, based not on his own feelings, but on the grace and life that he had been granted by his Lord. And so my question for all of us this evening is this. What are you still harboring in your heart? What is it that you are not able to forgive someone else for? Perhaps it is against a relative who insulted you at some family event. It is a friend who has manipulated you cheated you or injured you in some way? Is their sin against you larger than 100 talents, a thousand talents? How many times have you had to forgive them? Seven times, 27 times, 57 times? In the first commandment, the Lord teaches us not to have idols, false gods that control our lives. The failure to forgive another person the failure to forgive another person in a kind of way turns that person into an idol. Someone so important that they can exercise a negative kind of lordship over our emotions, our consciousness, our decision-making. The failure to Forgive permits the person who has offended us to be more important in establishing our identity than is God himself. The law points out how foolish that such idolatry is. Those who have offended us receive the ultimate payback. And when we refuse to forgive, we count them so important to command the attention of our thoughts and feelings. When we refuse to forgive, we show that we have not yet fully understood the forgiveness that we have received. Just as a person who was inside of a building can later see that it rained outside because the sidewalk is still wet and water is running in the street, the world should be able to see that Christ is about forgiveness because His followers are so willing to forgive. 
When the books of a certain Scottish doctor were examined after his death, it was found that a number of accounts were crossed through with this note written, Forgiven, too poor to pay. But the doctor's wife later decided that these accounts must be paid in full, and so she proceeded to sue for the money. And when the case came to court, the judge asked but one question, Is this your husband's writing? When she replied that it was, he responded with this, There is no court in the land that can obtain a debt once the word forgiven has been written. And that is the good news that the gospel offers us this evening. God's attitude is the same, forgiven, too poor to pay. Once our enormous debt has been canceled, there is no one who can collect on it. God wipes it out of his mind. Let us then in faith respond to his great gift of forgiveness. Let us forgive ourselves like that. Let us forgive others like that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand. We now confess together the words of our Christian faith. We do so using the Apostles' Creed. It is found printed in the back cover of your hymnal. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus. At this time, we will gather our tithes and offerings.
we offer up our prayers and petitions for this Ash Wednesday evening. Holy God, mighty Lord, we, your unworthy people, come to you this day, acknowledging the great debt we owe for your merciful kindness in giving to us your own Son to be our Savior and Redeemer. In love, he suffered for our sins and died the death that we were, was ours to die, so that he might forgive us of our sins and raise us from death to everlasting life. Receive our thanks and praise for his one, all-sufficient sacrifice upon the cross, and keep us in this faith and fear all the days of our lives. Lord, in your mercy. Grant to us your Holy Spirit, that we who come to the Lord's table today may receive the body and blood of Christ in sincere repentance and with confident faith, recognizing Christ's presence in this sacrament and rejoicing in the forgiveness of our sins and the nourishment of our faith. Help us so that we have received upon our lips, we may keep in whole our holy lives and live under Christ in his kingdom, here until we receive everlasting life in his presence. Lord, in your mercy. Receive our bodies and souls and all our talents and skills with the tithes and offerings we bring and thanksgiving for all your benefits in Christ. These and all things good and beneficial we ask you to grant us in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, Holy Lord, Almighty Father, everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who, having created all things, took on human flesh and was born of the Virgin Mary. For our sake he died on the cross and rose from the dead to put an end to death, thus fulfilling your will and gaining for you a holy people. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. prayer together that the Lord himself gave us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
The Lord's Supper is God's gift for Christians who are properly taught. In communing, we want people to receive Christ's body and blood for their good. This means that as you come to the Lord's table, you affirm that Jesus is your Savior in that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, and with us you confess. I recognize and confess that I am a sinner. I repent of my sin and ask God's forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ, on the night that he was handed over to death, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also, we took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my body, given for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
Let us pray the prayer together. We give thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us to this salutary gift, and we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us to the same in faith towards you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord look, up, look upon you with his favor and give you his peace.